0: Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for accredited investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. Is March 2022, and here we go. First slide. So my book hit Amazon bestseller for a bit. I think we've got the the audiobook version up. If you guys want to check it out, the journey to civil passive cash flow. Check it out on Amazon, Google Play. If you guys are coming on now, feel free to drop a comment below. Even if you're watching this in replay, we play this on the podcasts on the YouTube channel, and it also goes live in our Facebook groups where a lot of some of the comments and questions will be coming from. A little bit of background on myself. I have a wife, child, a dog, and a green raptor group here in Hawaii. Went to Seattle for a long time, too long. Became an engineer, but then I finally found the way to quit that by buying rental properties, which we educate people today. At Simple Passive Cash Flow podcasts found on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all of the such. But here, what we're going to be doing is going over the news headlines that I picked out over the past month that impacts investors. And if you guys are catching up these monthly installments and want to check out older ones, we put all this up on the website at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter, just in case you want to go back and see if I was lying at some point. And we've been doing this for our at least a couple of years now, every single month. The first one here, this came from ESPN. Yes, the sports people. And the reason why I put this one in here is just it shows people how the private equity capital raising works on the semi-institutional level. So the WNBA announced a $75 million capital raise to aid their growth strategy. They're probably going to use it to hire a lot of people, a lot of paid ads, Seventy-five million dollars uh, to do that. It's it's really important for players to know that this is an investment in them is what they're saying. I don't know if I'd be investing in this one personally. Probably won't. I don't know if it's a good investment. But I just put this here just to show that a lot of this stuff happens uh, without a lot of people knowing. So getting more into landlords' news right here. Six creative concessions that attract residents. You might want to use some of these in your rental properties. First one, upgrades to the property. This a no-brainer. I just came back from Texas this morning. There, we're doing a lot of the flooring, appliances. One of the properties we're picking up already has a lot of that in one of the black appliances. But maybe you might want to take it up the next level. So what we're doing, there's granite countertops. There's already a backsplash in there. And I think these days, backsplashes aren't really new. These days are, to me, a whimsical upgrade. We're spending a few hundred bucks on upgraded windows as opposed to those kind of dingier aluminum type ones. And uh, we're also upgrading the sinks. But that's kind of number one. Number two, freebies included. So they're saying offering a free parking space, free Wi-Fi. Sometimes we'll do like amenity packages. Higher end appliances. They're saying here in this article, this can be comped as such as a year as a concession. And that's if you're in this concession arena. At this point in the market cycle, not really concessions are not a big thing at this point because the power is in the hands of the landlords, the property managers at this point. Number three, self storage, being able to have your tenants being able to store the crap on the property. This is uh, a lot of renters carry a lot of things. and they got a lot of things, they tend to stay a little bit longer they're, they're happier perhaps uh, Four, use smart devices for the thermostats such as that we don't really put this in our apartments because we're more in the b and the c area and if people are in the a class i think they should just go buy their own high end instead of just a, the regular price Alexi stuff go for the high end stuff they should buy it more i don't know you're the landlord you guys can run things however you guys want number five here drop the pet fees for us, I actually disagree with this. Pet fees are a huge revenue generator, and they should be getting those fees on the pets, at least 25 bucks a month, like 50 or 100 sometimes on those furry friends. And number six, move-in incentives. Moving is stressful and expenses, so maybe you take some weight off the renter's shoulders by providing them free moving truck services. I don't necessarily agree with all these, but these are just some ideas from the multi-housing groups to share. Now, let's get some insights into what some of the big boys are doing. This is, this is Howard Hughes. They're planning to invest $25 million in medical office and residential projects in Columbia, Maryland, and their vision for a progressive health and wellness district integrated into the core of a thriving city. And the strict master plan for Columbia was in response to that suburban sprawl that several American cities encountered in the 1950s and 1960s. The reason why I put this article in here was just to highlight medical offices. It's with the need of medical aging baby boomer population. Maybe you can think of it like a Walgreens triple net. I don't know if you really want to invest in a Walgreens, especially when you're in a hot market where the leases aren't as good. I've been talking a lot about this lately where the leases, your more sophisticated tenants, your corporate-backed tenants, they're smart and they know that they're in an inflationary environment and they can just walk on their lease if it makes sense. So a triple net, like a Walgreens, another idea just to throw out there is like these medical offices, like a dentist's office, medical office, where you typically get higher square foot or price per square foot because the, the tenants are doctors or dentists and they tend to pay their rent more, be a little bit more fiscally responsible or recession-proof, if you will, and they also make more revenue. So they can pay higher rents. Also, just another throw out, another thing that the big guys are doing, Blackstone. they Snoop Dogg acquires Death Road Records brand from Blackstone. I'm sure Snoop Dogg just wanted to be a trophy collector on this one. Who knows? Maybe he has the ability to put in sweat equity based on his personal brand. I'm sure he does. Blackstone controlled that group previously. So that's Death Road Records from an arcade music group, which was controlled by private equity funds, managed by leading global investment firm, Blackstone. If you haven't heard of Blackstone, they're the biggest groups out there that do this. But there's hundreds of these types of private equity funds, all smaller than Blackstone. Getting back into the multifamily market polarized by rent incomes. So some of the takeaways from here, the pandemic's second year witnessed a robust rebound in rental housing demand, which reduced vacancies and propelled rents higher, lack of for-sale inventory kept many higher-income renters in their. Price. The same lower-income folks who suffered the greatest COVID-related job losses were also the most rent burden. So that was a little sad. The lower ends were the ones are most impacted by the whole pandemic, as we've been saying many times. Business Now reports that multifamily construction hits the highest level since 1974. And it's because the demand is there, and I think a lot of investors, you might see an article like this and say, they're building so many, that means there's going to be too much. Not necessarily, right? Because if they're going to build something, they're going to build something that's A class, and it's going to be a while till it starts to. It'll never compete with your B and C class if that's your investing thesis, which is personally mine. Investing in workforce housing, which caters towards the glut of America's population. One thing that they said, it's unlikely this is overbuilding or that this would impact prices for multifamily construction delays are probably just a factor. The completion of these units should help with rent pressure a little bit. And I think that maybe I'll say it many times today, but that's the general theme. The economy growth is slowing down. It's not like that, that you're going to probably see all the news articles saying it's, closed, it's slowing down, the world's going to come to end, but key in on what I'm saying here. The growth is slowing down, but it's still growing. Right? Let's not lose sight of that. It can't grow six, seven, eight percent year over year for multiple years of enrollment, which it, which it has. It just can't do that. It's going to probably teeter out at that nice two to four percent. Top 10 multifamily markets by units delivered in 2021. So, what this means is where did they build the most stuff? So, just going from the top to the bottom, Dallas, Houston. Miami, Austin, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., Orlando, Los Angeles, Charlotte, and Phoenix were where you're seeing the most development of units coming on? So one of the things that they're citing here, too, to read between the lines, a lot of these projects were slated to come in in 2020, obviously delayed by the onset of the pandemic, but mainly by mobility and job recovery-induced demand. Other points here, multifamily demand remains strong, rising interest rates, a national labor shortage, evolving migration patterns and changes in renter preferences, labor shortages, raising prices, inflation, rising rates, the labor shortage, the same thing over and over again. And on one one point on renter migration, renters that move to less expensive markets are able to pay more for rent because it seemed relatively cheap compared to the higher rent markets. It's like a lot of you guys came from California and then you're like, I'm going to Buy a huge house out here in Texas for 450 which would probably be like a million or $2 million out there in California, but you can afford it now when you go to somewhere cheaper. And if you're in California, I don't know why you're out there in the first place. You like to pay taxes. You like to pay $800. Eh, it has its good things too, though. And if you have the money, live in California. Anyway, New York weighs good cause eviction laws. Some of you guys might be upset at this whole thing and these are always going to come from the more progressive states such as New York, Oregon, and Washington, and California. Landlords who want to raise rents higher would have to justify those increases in court where they could be deemed unreasonable. Landlords and property managers say the legislation amounts to a form of rent control. Well, yeah, duh. They also say it limits landlords in which residents that choose to move and punishes good residents if they cannot evict a trouble someone. So this is a big thing, right, we go into a new building, we always kick out the deadbeats. Seems a little heartless, but the utilitarianism in me is if the other 400 units are tired of the same dozen idiots that are playing their music too loud and bringing their unsavory friends around, they want them out too. So we're going to cater to what we want. <laughs> the majority of the tenants want to improve the community. Some people can probably look at that and being quote, being heartless landlord in the new york this is what you're seeing that this is a ground zero for rent control out there obviously the main problem there is lack of affordability but i would look at this generally you don't want to invest in any of these blue states anyway because you're going to run into all this type of stuff and not to mention you can't evict bad players or bad tenants in the first place but you look to these more progressive states of where things are going in the future uh, i've been watching this one deal in hawaii this oasis Townhomes, so finally peaked and went public it was a 406 unit for some of you guys in hawaii if you guys went here the pictures are amazing but it's a ghetto in hawaii if you ask my opinion even though like dangerous places in hawaii isn't as nearly as dangerous as places in the mainland are differences not they don't have guns here, but Funny, I saw this pop up, but yeah, the price per unit was just astronomical. The, the only reason I was following this was because I was curious who was buying this. And if these are all big private equity firms that cater towards institutional operators or institutional investors that lazy money, they can do whatever they want. But if I was worth hundred something million dollars, yeah, I'd probably buy some properties in California, Hawaii, New York, because it's a low cap rate probably thinking to themselves that's stupid why would you buy want to buy low cap rates low cap rates means that it is a more stable type of market It's always going to be Hawaii actually it could probably demand gets stronger as people are wanting to are able to work remotely where yeah there's obviously I like to invest in like kind of the sweet spot places you know, Texas Arizona Alabama the places in the middle but I won't go to these tertiary markets like Boise Idaho or these places, especially up in the north, like these these 100, 200 thousand population towns or less, will be called tertiary, not t-r-t-u-r-d like a tur tertiary market. So you don't want to go to those types of places, even though you're going to have higher cap rates. But hey, you can try it out, see how it works for you. When you see a market cycle and the water retreats from those tertiary markets, and you're going to wish you were in a more secondary type of market that. It Has that staying power? But we're going to start to dig into this Joint Center for Housing Studies, which is something I read a lot from the Harvard University. Some of their articles are very deep. i are going to be going over the highlights from this one article, which was uh, first takeaways: rents climbed rapidly. You've been living under a rock. Rents dipped in the first year of the pandemic before resuming their race at a pace of one point seven percent year over year in the first quarter twenty twenty one. And then it hit an astonishing 10.9%. This is the fastest rate of growth in the CoStar's 20-year data series. Higher quality apartments led the way with rising rents of 13.8%. So what that means is the higher ends are the ones that the rents are increasing the most. And that makes sense, right? Because your higher end tenants didn't get as impacted or they probably were even stronger through the pandemic because they couldn't spend their damn money doing all their fun vacations and stuff like that sporting event and the clap the lower end were hurt harder because they were the ones who unfortunately had to you know, maybe get unemployment stuff like that so that's why you're seeing the lower end and that's why this this chart shows the growth on the lower end which is more the f and d class type of apartments going up a little bit slower than the higher end. same thing uh, vacancy rates and occupancy or vacancy rates, occupancy kind of go inversely with the amount of rents. You have a lot of occupancy or low vacancy, that means demand. And when you have more demand, your rents go up or your prices. So vacancy rates hit 5.8% in the third quarter of 2021, down 6.6% in the first quarter of the year previous. So vacancy is going down. It's all signs of a very healthy sign, not for the renter, but for the landowner, the rental property owner. Rent demand surge. Just taking the last two slides, the occupants, low vacancy, and rents. That's essentially rental demand for the most part. Market has come overwhelmingly from higher income households. A trend that likely continued throughout the pandemic. Skyrocketing home prices and low inventory put home ownership out of reach for many. And now interest rates creep. That house that they want is slowly going away. They can't reach it. And this is why a lot of people have that false mentality of. I better buy a home now or I better buy a home for my kids because they'll never be able to afford it. Maybe they shouldn't. If if you can't afford, affordability is a metric between the housing prices in relation to the interest rate. The lower the interest rates are, the more that you can afford. But that doesn't mean you should afford it, in my opinion. You guys think that's right? Put a comment in there. Let me know. But I don't think everybody should be buying a house to live in. I still rent. I'm cool doing all right Uh, but i put my money into investments and that's why i do things so that i live like people dream in the future number four here multifamily construction boom so this was echoed in the last article Uh, even though construction is booming new apartments are still being leased up at a faster pace so what that is that's called absorption right like new inventory goes out there is it absorbed or do people fill it we're in the process we're just completing a a brand new development build and we have 12 months of leasing it up to uh, stabilization getting it up to 89 percent so if you you had better absorption rate possibly we can do it a little bit quicker than that but that's what we have estimated but in a very low absorption rate might take longer apartment prices hit a new high there's this change. climate change poison, even greater threat. So they're talking about climate change, natural hazards, threatened millions of subsidized housing. That's your insurance right there. And insurance surges sometimes, and it comes back down, and surges. It goes up and away. We're actually selling a couple apartments down there on, on the Gulf coastline where they just get hammered by hurricanes. And right now it's in that surging period. So it's killed the net operating a little bit. I think that's a big misnomer. A lot of investors, they really freak out about the hurricanes, the floods, the tornado. I mean, it's not really a big deal. I'll be sending out a a bigger article on that here shortly. So make sure you guys get on the mailing list and you'll get that video and article about the ways to get around the system and when insurance claims can work on your side to the positive. And then other pandemic, and a lot of this is in the rear view mirror, couple years, right, we had all these CDC orders that kind of starting to burn off. And now we're starting to really start to have things open up on the eviction side. A lot of the government assistance came out the last year, and it's still running its way through its unprecedented amount of money printing. And I'm sure that will probably continue over and over again. Next article, the U-Haul report. So the u report tracks the, the movement. Of more on the York budget, middle-class, workforce housing type of tenant. I would say the majority of America, whereas the van lines are more for the, the higher-end, white-collar workers. Who, somebody moves their stuff, not quite with it, a white glove service, but they tend to take care of your stuff more for you than the U-Haul. Or actually, they don't take care of it. They can just put in an annoying claim that takes forever after. But the U-Haul is your do-it-yourself college kid or your first job and you're trying to do it save money and walk away with the the moving in. but anyway the top 10 u-haul growth states are texas florida tennessee south carolina arizona indiana colorado maine idaho New mexico a lot of growth coming from the east and the west coast people moving from california and new york we see a lot of people moving from the chicago markets nobody wants to be in illinois chicago nobody wants everybody they're like the Detroit of five ten years ago everybody crapped on Detroit I think everybody these days is kind of Chicago nobody the population is going down and it's kind of like a blue state too here they're saying a lot of job growth and opportunity in other places cost of living is much lower Texas open for business where California remained the top state for out I'm sure Hawaii would be on that st- that for but i don't think yuha moves people's stuff across the water i think it's got to be band Line or just sell it all craigslist i see always like moving sales in hawaii commercial property executive reports that exxon to move the headquarters to greater heat. the headquarter relocation comes amidst internal restructuring including plans to unite the company's chemical and downstream oil and gas segments oil and gas is getting good i got some money in oil and gas i think that's going to do better with the whole russia thing is what i hear but i try not to really i don't really think about it too much i just did it for the taxes the office vacancy rate through the houston market continued to climb during 2021 and ended the year with a vacancy rate of 24.3 representing a 220 basis point increase year over year and yeah yesterday i checked out the houston office building i think she said it was eighty percent occupied. I think originally it was like sixty, and that was in the middle of the pandemic. So yeah, it's exactly what this article saying. Exactly what the property management, property manager at the at the property said. And in the van lines here, the van lines are like I said, the more white collar, higher end movement. So the top inbound states are for twenty. 20- vermont south dakota south carolina west virginia florida alabama tennessee oregon idaho so i don't know how you guys want to make think of these these are your the more higher end type of stuff or the u-haul is more your budget so that's some people they based all their investing on the u-haul and the van line report but let's check out the van line out report so number one they're moving out of new jersey illinois see i told you we keep Illinois, Chicago, it's right there. New York, Connecticut, California, Michigan, Massachusetts, Louisiana, Ohio, and Nebraska. A lot of people are doing the turnkeys out there in Ohio, Cleveland. But you look at the population, it's flatlined, going down. Not to say you can't make it work, but part of this is like investing with the trade winds behind. Real page report what winter slowdown, apartment occupancy climbs to push upward. Effective asking rents on new leases were up 15%. Occupancy was the greatest highest in coastal city. Occupancy's leaders above 98% in some of these other markets like Providence, Anaheim, San Diego, Miami, Riverside, New York, Northern New Jersey, Virginia Beach, Philadelphia, and Fort Lauderdale. A lot of those markets were more primary markets where you're expected to have that higher occupancy because of that. It is, there is more out there for that type of stuff. More affordable sunbelt markets continue to dominate the leaderboard for new lease effective rent growth over the last 12 months. And those, to name a few, West Palm Beach, Tampa, Phoenix, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Austin, Las Vegas, Jacksonville, Miami, and Raleigh, Durham. Only large metro, which was Minneapolis, St. Paul, at 4.9% registered effective asking rent growth below 8%. Yeah, so those aren't. Minneapolis, Saint Paul's not the the greatest. Like Chicago, it's too freaking cold. I don't know. I, I don't know. I know Minnesota. It's too cold. I worked for the railroad for there one time, and I just remember the guys would come in with their like icicles, their mustaches just frozen like little icicles. I'm just thinking to myself, why would anybody want to live out here? It's too cold. But I get it. If your family's out there, that's one thing. I think that's why a lot of people move to Florida or places. Better warmer down south, Sunbelt. Uh, Apartment demand smashes previous record high by 66%. Demand for market rate apartments in 2021 soared far above the highest levels on record. Sunbelt and mountain desert regions combined to account for more than half the nation's apartment demand in 2021 led by Dallas-Fort Worth, 7.4% share of the U.S. Two. Three major engines of growing firing at the same time, economic and job growth, housing demand, and in the case of fast-growing cities in migration. There is no fear that a significant percentage of low- and moderate-income households, including those on fixed incomes, will be experiment, experiencing significant challenges in terms of housing affordability. Uh, RE, is, RE Business Online reports apartment investment expected to thrive through inflation. And here, there's a little chart from Marcus and Milichap. You can see where different sectors of commercial real estate are a little bit hotter than others. If you're checking this out on the YouTube channel, i you might here to stop here. You know, there, and I quote, it's difficult for historical apartment investors to believe that Cap rates have hit below 4% in most major markets. Some investors say that the recap is the new four cap, but the smart money that's going into the space is betting on growth. But that's this is the difference between if you're a buy and hold and pray investor, we're not doing jack to the profit. What your cap rates are and what your interest rates are, are very important. But if you're in the value add game, it's very different. You actually have more of a cavalier attitude. We really don't really care what those initial values are. Because the way you're making money is by doing the force appreciation component. As low cost units become increasingly scarce, low and moderate income renters are losing access to many. Neighborhood, these are, yeah, these are kind of the un- unfortunate social things that come out of all this type of stuff. America's rental housing in 2022. The loss of low cost rental housing units is making it increasingly difficult for low and moderate income renters to find affordable housing whether due to rising cost conversions out of the rental stock or demolition. The report tells us that the number of units renting for less than $600 fell by three point million between 2011 and 2019. Part of that is duh, it's like inflation. It's a strange, that seems like a manufactured dumb statistic to me. But yeah, you can't find stuff that's 500 bucks a day these days i think the cheapest unit we've ever bought rented at the 400s but now yeah you you just don't find that type of stuff anymore now the 400 the 550s are like the new 400s yeah probably just due to inflation maybe i'm just getting old so the the loss of low rent units not being replaced by new construction policymakers must make increasingly efforts to not only replace units lost and and increase the supply of low-cost housing but also preserve and restore access to local high-quality neighborhoods so that every household has a chance for opportunity. Unfortunately, a lot of your developers, the money coming in, it just it makes more sense for them if they're going to build something to build a class A for more of that type of stuff. So this is where it's underserved demand is the low to middle The proceeding offers general personal finance information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor's situation is unique. Always seek the services of professional tax and legal advisors before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk.